everybody out there in podcast land welcome to the dragon's nest podcast i'm your host will and as always i have my lovely co-host karen how are you doing this evening doing wonderful and sitting with us tonight is a a new uh host with us this evening uh, a good friend of ours uh, mr tim hasting how are you doing this evening doing great thanks for having me Wait, that was supposed to be a laugh track instead. It was, uh, it was supposed to be actually a, a uh, you know, an applause track, but it was a laugh track. But still, welcome to the uh, Dragon's Nest podcast. It wasn't that funny. We are not, but prof- there we go. we're not professionals, people. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me again, though. Hey. Oh, no, no, it's great. It's, it's great. fun. So tonight's topic on the Dragon's Nest is going to be cryptids, Bigfoot, lake monsters, all the uh, crazy creatures that roam around this land that no one believes in or believes in. Is so. that a um, technical or is that the actual definition? Just all the crazy things? Cryptozoology. That... <laughs> that's the actual definition. So people who study it are cryptozoologists. Okay. So those Bigfoot hunters out there are cryptozoologists who are searching to find the proof of a Bigfoot in the world that we live in. So, not sure if people have actually found Bigfoot, but I know there's a lot of stories about him and a lot of people out hunting him. There's shows about Bigfoot. And there's many shows about Bigfoot, but you are going to go to Australia, and we're going to talk about <laughs> the cryptids in Australia before we get to any Bigfoot articles tonight. All right. So, your field guide to Australia's local cryptid population by Leah Williams. She says, but the most dangerous creatures are the ones we can't see. The ones that lurk in Australia's outback, chowing on goat carcasses and lurking in the muddied water. The ones that roam in the wild on two feet and peer from the bushes with glowing eyes as you pass them on your drive through the country roads. These are Australia's cryptids and they bite. If you're unfamiliar with the term cryptid, let me take you on a journey. A cryptid, according to Urban Dictionary is an animal that is commonly not believed to exist, but actually may. You might have seen one, but your Uncle Larry definitely saw one stealing his dungaroos off the washing line in 86. First of all, that is the cleanest Urban Dictionary definition that I have ever (laughs) read, okay? Right? I'm just saying. So are they real, question mark? Well, put on your tinfoil hat, just because they might be. Um, So the first one that they talk about is the bunyip. Thanks to iconic children's author Michael Salmon, a whole generation of kids grew up thinking the bunyip was a vague pink blob named Alexander who once tried to eat Canterbury. 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 (laughs) You know, that old saying. Unfortunately, the real life bunyip is half as cute and twice as horrifying Depicted like a kind of deformed starfish or lumpy seal thing. It also said to be accompanied by a 
feeling of rising dread. According to Bunyip expert Robert and Nicholas Holden, the Bunyip originated in indigenous Australia folklore, and it was believed to be a kind of water spirit that infested lakes and other bodies of water. Crocky, that's a Bunyip it is. <laughs> Crocky. <laughs> like many famous cryptids, the Bunyip's hobbies are said to be screaming loudly at passerbys and eating people. Sightings were... I'm sorry, did you say eating people? Eating people, yes. What kind of people? Yum. All kinds of people. <laughs> Bad people, good people, all people, everybody? All kinds of people. Kids, adults, all people? Everybody. Oh. Sightings were most common between 1840s and the 1850s and were well documented in Victoria and South Australia. In 1845, report in the Greenlong Observer... I'm sorry, that's the Geelong Observer, described several encounters with bunyips, including one that ended in broken arm and another that ended in death. It also contained the following description. The bunyip, then, it represented as uniting the characteristics of a bird and of an alligator. It has a head... A bird and an alligator? A bird and an alligator. How is that possible? It has a head resembling an emu. With a long bill. You didn't say anything about an emu. <laughs> I'm halfway through. I'm not even halfway through the description. Emu, emu. I feel like this is an insurance commercial. Liberty Mutual. Emu, emu. Sponsored by Liberty Mutual. <laughs> and it, ha- it has a head resembling an emu with a long bill at the extremity of which is transverse projection on each side with serrated edges like a bone of a stingray its body and leg partake of the natural i'm sorry of the nature of the alligator the hind legs are remarkably thick and strong did you and say the, thick yes. i feel like steve arum is there <laughs> stingray alligator no it's like a nightmare of his right his kids nightmare. oh my gosh yeah. Yeah. remarkably <laughs> thick and strong and the four legs Again, are the much thick and strong. longer she keeps repeating sounds like strong. my friday night but still of great strength <laughs> I'm trying to get through this, people. You should feel sorry for me right now. When in the water, it swims like a frog. When on shore, it walks with its hind legs with its head erect. Oh, stop, yeah. it's stop, got an stop, erect stop, head. stop, stop. It has an erect head. And it was thick and strong. Thick and strong with an erect head. Oh, my my gosh. Night. In which position measures 12 to 13 feet in height. Well, at least it wasn't inches. Oh, my gosh. When, <laughs> while bunion sightings have lulled. In the years since, whispers of their existence still persist in many circles, with Mysterious Universe identifying a possible recent sighting in a 2019 video that has since been pulled from the internet. Conspiracy? Question mark? Now, when you say recent circles, I did think you mean yes. circle jerks? Or... Okay, on to Tim. What do you got, Tim? <laughs> the Yowie. I don't I'm mean sorry, to alarm the Yowie. The Yowie. Yowie. I don't mean to alarm you, but there have been Yowie reports as of July 19th claiming that creatures have been stalking the Gold Coast. So if you live there, it might be time to move. I'm out. The Yowie, for all <laughs> intents and purposes, is Australia's version of the Bigfoot or the Yeti, a large hairy man thing that patrols the Australian outback, otherwise known as a bear. Sometimes it <laughs> sits in mines. I don't know if they have bears in the outback or not. I, I think they do. Do they? No. Koala bears. But I don't think you'd be afraid of the koala. <laughs> they have a Build-A-Bear. Build-A-Bear. But you know, koalas like their wood. You, I'm just you saying. would be fearful of koala bears. Though. They beat the nails and everything. They can tear you apart. They're cute, but they But they can really be like to hold on to your wood. Oh, my God. But I'm fearful of regular bears because they're... 
Harry. And the Yowie, Tim. How about that? Exactly. <laughs> Back to the so, Yowie, I guess. Sometimes it sits and minds its own business. Other times, you guessed it, it eats people. Not my kind of bear. Why does everything eat people? <laughs> More things that eat people. It, I mean, it can eat something. I mean, not. people eat people. Right? That's just Hannibal Lecter. Oh, yeah, that's true. So, like, like the bunyip, the yaoi originates from Australia indigenous folklore. It's alternatively known as quicken and more commonly, commonly sighting on the Australian East Coast. While the yaoi myth became widely spread in the 1800s, sightings of the yaoi occur frequently with several prominent incidents. The Australian bush is a large... Um, what about the bush? <laughs> it's a large place. It is a large place, depending on who you're with. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Especially... It's, it's like being with a teenage boy. It really is. It really <laughs> it, it really is. I need a hacksaw here. Anyway, back to the so, large bush. So the next time you visit, watch out for giant footprints and incredibly... <laughs> I hate when hairy, you have footprints in your bush. <laughs> exactly. And incredibly hairy man. Might be your neighbor, Gary... Or, have you had a hairy man in your bush? Or it could be something far more sinister. I'm trying to ignore that comment. To you, Will. <laughs> Mythical Aboriginal Bunyip paintings found and a possible recent sighting by Paul Seaburn in February 20, 2019. While it holds a predominant place in Australian Aboriginal mythology, as well as in tales by European settlers, the cryptid known as the Bunyip has been rarely seen. That makes the news of both the discovery of Aboriginal cave paintings of Bunyips, as well as a possible video of one a twofer for their fans. If you're not one yet, you may become one after hearing one of the origin stories. And if you believe the video, you may want to avoid rivers and billabongs for a while. I'm not sure what the hell a billabong is, but I'm not uh, sure what a billabong is. I like bongs. <laughs> it's for, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> the word bunyip comes from a wimba wimba and wargaya, a language of Aboriginal people of Victoria. But tales of similar creatures are found throughout Aboriginal folklore. Most say it's a water spirit, usually evil, with a wide variety of characteristics, including a dog-like face, a crocodile-like head, dark fur, a horse-like tail, flippers, and walrus-like tusks or horns, and a duck-like bill. Many of the... First of all, that's a lot of shit. Well, <laughs> and like, it's interesting that it's... I mean, why not just so, throw anything else on there? It's I mean, very different from... I mean, it, there's some similarities there, but it's kind of different from my story, too, of having the bird-like emu... With a with Ew, a serrated tail and uh, yeah, alligator. Just, we, okay, yeah, but okay, that's two creatures. We just crossed a dog with a crocodile, with a horse, <laughs> with a walrus, and a duck. Do you know what we call that in the states? What do we call it? Furby ant. Uh, oh gosh! <laughs> Most people listening have no idea what that means. But just know there's a few people out there who will appreciate that. Joke. Uh, so, many of these coming from unidentified fossils attributed to the bunyip. Did you national- say falsehoods? Fossils. Oh, I thought it was Donald Trump. Oh, gosh. (laughs) He is a fossil. That is correct. Uh, The National Library of Australia has a famous drawing by an unknown artist illustrating the strange combination of features, you think? Since the sightings are always in water, there is some speculation of creatures is based on a seal, a prehistoric ancestor to the platypus, or even an aquatic prehistoric marsupial. Kiss from the rose. Hmm. And the Aboriginal people have their own ideas, which brings us to the cave paintings. They were rediscovered in 2016 during an expansion of the Grampians Peak Trail in a shallow cave atop a cliff in Mount Difficult Range in Grampians National Park, Victoria. Four red ochre bunyips. Red ochre. I'm sorry. I think that's ochre, not ochres. Just so you know. It's not an ochre. It's an ochre. (laughs) 
Bunions. Well-worn, but still identifiable, mm-hmm. possibly tens of thousands of years after they were drawn on the sandstone wall, have been kept secret until now for their protection. In fact, the exact location of the caves has not been revealed to anyone but traditional owners, park rangers, and archaeologists. The traditional owners tell an interesting tale of the bunion. Bunjil, the creator spirit, lived on a cliff in Mount Difficult Range. You think it's a difficult range? Sounds like a Friday Mount night. difficult range. <laughs> One day he jumped from it safely with his wife and two children in his arms. However. Not like Friday night. Not like Friday <laughs> night. I don't jump. I only jump with Karen on Tuesdays. However, when his mother-in-law it's jumped. It's a Tuesday thing. It is Tuesday? No, it's not. <laughs> My mother-in-law's name is Butter. <laughs> However, when his mother-in-law jumped, he couldn't catch and she broke into pieces. That's oh. a Humpty Dumpty tale, right? Still alive, she crawled to a water hole where a bunyip attacked her. She offered her clumsy son-in-law instead, and the bunyip killed Bunjil. I told you some people would become fans of the bunyip after hearing this story. That brings us to the recent video. Okay, so there is a video. I guess. There is very little information on it other than it was allegedly shot in the Western Australia outback far from Victoria, and the barely visible creature swimming in the water allegedly ate a horse. <laughs> was Pete Davidson in the video? <laughs> you know, he does like eating horses. I'm just saying. I thought so. The explanation refers to it as possibly a rainbow serpent. Oh, it's a gay serpent. It's it's Gay Pride Month. Oh, yeah, very fitting. It's a gay serpent. It's a gay serpent. Happy Pride, serpent. <laughs> I like it. Which is sometimes used to describe a bunyip, but with more benevolent characteristics. It came with a great mother from the sea, brings the wet seasons, and deposits spirit children in pools where women swim to impregnate them. Sounds like a wet season. So it's Ursula. Yeah, it's a wet season. You like the wet season? (laughs) Sounds like my night every night. Oh my gosh. Sounds better than eating a horse, doesn't it? The word bunyip has entered common usage (laughs) as a synonym for imposter or pretender, and that also seems to fit this video. Wow. The cave paintings of the Bunyip are truly an historic find and will add to the heritage of Mount Difficult and the Grampians National Park. Of course, all of that changes if a better I'm sorry, if a better video surfacing of a Bunyip happens to turn up. So I'm kind of confused. So there is a video of a Bunyip or there is not a video of a Bunyip? No, there's a video of a Bunyip. I think if you go to uh, our Facebook page or our Twitter page, I'm pretty sure I probably posted it there. But it's been a while since uh, I put this all together, but it should be out there for you to watch. I took a selfie with Bunyip once. Did you? Mm-hmm. Was it was it the Pride Bunyip? <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't the rainbow one. It's the one pretending to be straight. You know, I hate those closeted Bunyips. I feel like, you know, they have enough going for them. They should just be out and proud. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're a Bunyip. Oh, what do you got gosh. to hide? <laughs> exactly. Just be a Bunyip. Right. Before this gets too out of hand, let's go on to the next one. This is one of my favorite legends, and that's of the Wendigo. Um, This is by Reese Arredondo. This piece is based on Native American legend of the Wendigo, a mythological man-eating creature or evil spirit that originated in the Algonquin tribe. I probably that's not too bad, actually. You actually got that. Can I get that one? That's like a first. You know, I try to give Karen the most difficult pronunciations for fun. And she actually got that one first time. Impressive. She saw the cliff note. Yeah, that's what it was. That's what I think. She's been reading these for a couple weeks. (laughs) Yeah. Have you ever found yourself hungering alone? As a matter of fact. Oh. 
I wasn't asking you. That's my midnight every night. <laughs> Hateful pain bound like knots within your guts. Yeah. Has it eaten away at your nerves and reason? Talk to me, girl. Surely you know what becomes of such agony. I do. Deep within <laughs> deep within the cops. The cop the cops. She was doing so good. I know. <laughs> I think that's cool. I think it's is it supposed to be copes? I believe so. Okay. Deep within the copes of cold of cold lies the answer. When you hunger beyond your very insanity. In that moment, it comes the craving of flesh. Oh, I love that. <laughs> oh, yes. Whether your own mm. or attached to an unfortunate soul. You know, I just love a good piece of flesh. <laughs> <laughs> On the barbecue. Karen, you want to come upstairs after this? <laughs> These decrepit thoughts tease with grim delight. Rivers of red running and tainting the pure white snow. The tearing, the tearing, not the tearing, the tearing of flesh between frantic hands. Thoughts so dark yet enchanting to a mind of its own. From the depths of the forest, among skeletal trees and dead brush, through blinding sheets of pelting ice and snow, you soon come face to face with hunger made manifest. Yeah, okay. The very spirit of winter and malice titan of starvation it looms over your pitiful form as owls bore witness from afar ragged ash gray skin (laughs) stretched taut over haunting bones antlers stained with bright crimson blood its sunken eyes boring into your very heart all hope of resisting it any shred of fleeing is gone it left you as this beast of anomalous nature sat. Horrors yet to come. You shout defiance aloud towards it. A futile gesture, as you would soon know. Soon enough, it answers your taunts of desperation. First, in the voice of your father. Then the mother. Even brothers, your lover, your closest friends. All loved ones dearest. An unspoken anguish of the heart as it speaks in the likeness of the dead. Upon its haunches, among the churned up ice, it sits. It maws dripping in fresh grove. Your your flesh in clawed hands. A meal you have become, consumed beyond recognition. Licking its fanged lips before rising to the scent of another tortured soul. The hunger that never rests. The twisted spirit of the Wendigo. I feel like you've been waiting for two seasons to read that specific <laughs> poem. You I, seem to enjoy I, that. I did way enjoy. Too much. I enjoyed that quite a bit. <laughs> Why have you not given me this poem before? Will? Do you not know that I like poetry? I'm, I'm sad that I didn't do it perfectly. That's the only thing I'm mad at myself for because that was beautiful. I absolutely loved it. I've read so much up on the Wendigo. I think it's an amazing tale if you guys go out and research. Um, like the Wendigo is a bunch of like Indian folklore and it's just very beautifully written. I love that. Tell us more about the Wendigo, Mr. Tim. Well, actually, I have the Hawkesbury River Monster. <laughs> oh, well, so. we'll pass on the Wendigo, I guess. <laughs> 
Wendigo. Thank you. Um, New South Wales Hawkesbury River Monster is home to a mythological sea monster that rivals the Loch Ness Monster in both size and elusivity. This is for you to say. (laughs) This this is according to one guy, at least. But we'll count it. (laughs) At least. Rex Gilroy, cryptologist, claims he saw a 12-meter giant shadow on the surface of the Iconic River in 2009 after 50 long years of searching for the beast. Reportedly responsible for a spate of drownings and capsizings in the 1980s, Gilroy concluded that the beast he'd been hunting was a mollywonk mollywonk? Mollywonk? Oh no, it's uh, a mollywonk! <laughs> Oh my god, it's feel, coming together. I don't there. feel like I could be scared of a Molly Wonk. <laughs> it's a it's a plesiosaur like monster that had previously depicted from the indigenous Australian art. Well thank and, God you told me it was a plesiosaur because at first I thought maybe it was something from Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Exactly, I'm just saying. Exactly. And it was known to roam the Australian river system, okay? <laughs> Unlike Nessie, information on the Hawkesbury River monster is rare as the reported sightings photographs or evidence but the hardly discounted theory a man said he saw shadows of the water and damn i believe it was him he said damn he did damn if you say damn, damn it's true so the so let me tell you about the <laughs> let me tell you about the hook island, hook island sea monster queensland hook island i'm sorry did you say hooker hooker yes. island yes julia roberts oh it's very popular i hear they make a lot of money on the island they do oh. Because, you know, it's the oldest living profession. True. Well, so Queensland Hook... Please use protection on the island. No. They don't believe it. Queensland Hook Island is home to an even bigger fish, or a giant tadpole-like thing. That's what I was just saying. Giant tadpole-like thing, according to a local legend, as this very convincing photograph taken by Robert Lay Sarek in the 1960s. As the story goes, Sarek was out fishing in the Stonehaven Bay, when him and his wife noticed a strange dark shape in the water. It is said that at least it was at least to be 20 meters long and completely horrifying. Looking at the photos, but still, Sarek ventured out to, to snap a pick and presumably poke a stick at the monster. I don't know what kind of stick it was. But I don't either, but it was 20 meters. <laughs> when Sarek got closer, the thing moved and tried to eat him. As to him and his companion, according to his account in Australian's Everyone's Magazine. That's like... Us Weekly here in the U.S. <laughs> Sarek was profoundly was a was a professional photographer, and given this was in the days was before deep fakes and Photoshop, the image was spread widely around the globe, and never proven to be false. Any given the presence of the gigantic creatures of the gigantic squid, it's not hard to stretch the imagination, accommodate a giant tadpole, if you want. In my advice, if you ever find yourself by the Hawkesbury, watch your feet. These creatures may not exist. They could by the, they could just be the scuff of myths, myths or legends, but nobody has proven definitely that they're not out there. If you ever find yourself in the Australian outback, the Australian ocean, or literally anywhere in Australia, stay safe, stay vigilant, vigilant, vigilant and stay calm. That might be diligent. <laughs> vigilant is different than diligent, but go with it. Vigilant. Stay calm, though. Because they might be out there. Sometimes when these articles are, are like from reporters and they don't have editorialism. And so they have uh, some really bad grammatical errors. So we Many do our best when we read articles these things. have a lot of grammatical errors. On to you, Willie. 
Canada's Mysterious Lake Monster by Lisa Candane from March 2020. Not long after I moved to Kalana, a city in southern British Columbia known for its wineries, water sports, and hiking trails. No, Tim, not not yellow water sports, just so you understand. What? <laughs> I don't like yellow water sports, Thank for God. the record, people. Okay, just making sure. Only on weekends. Two brothers seen something undulating. Or- Tell me more. Undulating. Two brothers. Undulating. Oh my gosh. Across the water in the middle of Okanagan Lake, an 84-mile-long lake that curves down the Okanagan Valley past Kelowna in the shape of a serpent. Did you say Corona? Corona, Kelowna. (laughs) Mama, mama, my Kelowna. The wave crested and fanned out like a wake, but there wasn't a boat in sight. They weren't adamant it was Ogopogo. Ogopogo is to Kelowna what Nessie is to Loch Ness. You can't live in Kelowna for any length of time without hearing about its mysterious lake creature, Okapogo. It is to so co- Okapogo is Ogopogo. <laughs> Ogopogo is the equivalent of Loch Ness. Yes, but here in uh, this area. Oh, okay. In the northern hemisphere, Ogopogo is to Kelowna what Nessie is to Loch Ness, a yet to be identified cryptid that reputedly resides in the lake depths and services just often enough to keep the legend alive. It's been described as a multi-humped serpentine beast with... Yes, I said multi-humped. <laughs> I, I knew you were going there. I just wanted to make sure. I, I know. It was knowledge. I wanted to clarify. Multi-humped serpentine... Oh, now i got to read it all over again. because It's been described as a multi-humped serpentine beast with green or black skin and the head of a horse, snake, or sheep. Well, make up your mind. Is it a horse, snake, or sheep? That is I mean, seriously, different. make up your mind. Yeah. Can it not be both? Three? That's three. <laughs> horse, snake, or sheep? Like, which one is it? Throw throw away the sheep. It's a thruple. I was going to say, horse, snake, sheep. That's the... It's yeah. a lake monster thruple. <laughs> thruple. Oh, my gosh. Before it was popular. <laughs> Drawings depict a, a coiling sea dragon, like what you might see on an old Mariner's map where it says, Here there be monsters! Around so town, Ogopogo <laughs> takes so a benign cartoonish form as a 15-foot-long green and cream-colored statue on the waterfront, the smiling mascot for the local WHL hockey team, and as plush toys at souvenir shops. Like its palindrome name, its physical appearance and very existence is... I'm sorry, are we boring you? No. <laughs> I did one yawn, looked away. You Come did on. one yawn. I mean, I'm sorry that Ogopogo can't keep you. I, just, I can't help it, Tim. It's from Canada. What can I say? Hey. Like its physical appearance and very existence is something no one can make heads nor tails of. Ogopogo mania peaked in the 1980s when the region's tourism association offered a $1 million reward for a proof of the creature's existence. Greenpeace came forward and named it an endangered species, demanding that Ogopogo be captured only on film and not in the flesh. American TV shows of the era, including In Search Of and Unsolved Mysteries, even reported in Okanagan Valley's mysterious inhabitants. Tonight, Unsolved Mysteries. (laughs) Tonight. On Unsolved Mysteries, we have the Ogopogo creature. You just like singing Ogopogo. It is from the south. Try singing it with this accent. No, no. The accents are really bad. Hanging in my... Never mind. (laughs) 
Uh, yet it wasn't until I attended the International Indigenous Tourism Conference in Kelowna last autumn that I realized that Ogopogo of Canadian popular culture, a creature that 16% of British Columbians believe in, only come about through miscommunications between Canada's early European settlers and the Okanagan Valley's original inhabitants, the Okanagan Silix. I'm assuming the Silix are the Native Americans that live there. It's not really a monster. It's a spirit of the lake, and it protects this valley from one end to the other. It's not really a monster. It's a spirit of the lake, and it protects this valley from one end to another, said Pat Raphael of the West Bank First Nation, a member nation of the larger Okanagan Silix Nation Alliance, who guided me through the Silix ancestral lands bordering Okanagan Lake as our bus drove south along the water. She explained that while many in Canada know the creature as Ogopogo, to the Silix, it's Nahahitku, which means the sacred spirit of the lake. Bless you. Ah, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Nahahitku. Bless you again. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Raphael pointed out that the brown hump of Rattlesnake Island across the water where the spirit is said to dwell she also had as practice saying Nahahu. <laughs> I do need a tissue. Uh, not really sure. Uh, it could be the Corona setting in. I don't oh, know. It's not Corona. Man. In the Silic language. It's not Okapogo. What are you colonized? She joked when a few of these struggled with the pronunciation and reverted to saying Okapogo. I mean, I can't understand why. Before European fur traders arrived in the valley in 1809, these Silix had been living in the area for at least 12,000 years. They had their own laws, justice systems, and beliefs. Chief among them was the importance of water representing by the... (laughs) It existed in two forms, a spiritual form and a physical, tangible form that was embodied by the lake itself. Sometimes, though, the spiritual would reveal itself from within the lake. In our stories actually very dark in color and it's uh, i'm sorry the nahahako is actually very dark in color and it's got the head of a horse and the antlers of a deer now it's got the antlers of a deer <laughs> what the hell is going on with this creature we've got many creatures tonight that just kind of apparently it is a shapeshifter we've got a lot of creatures that i just kind of embodies like multiple characters what or does, multiple animals what's just call it siler you know i'm just gonna let you know that when I was in my backyard tonight, I saw the Ogopogo, or the Nahahahako. <laughs> and oddly, it had the head of a snake, the body of a bird, oh. the ass of our neighbor, oh, and the face of my anus. Oh. So we had two, <laughs> so we had two butts. And I forgot to mention it also had the antlers of a deer, which made it very scary. Oh. Okay. I, I'm just saying. This is such a weird article. Okay. So anyway, she goes on to say that um, a missionary saw our water spirit and the habit was to demonize our spiritual beliefs. Were they demonizing it? I don't know. I think it's demonizing. I am, I am it's so lost in this article. It's it, just... The Silix fed. The Silix is an Indian tribe. Fed. It's Native American. <laughs> with, well, no, it's Canadian. I guess it's still Native American. You're correct. Uh, with tobacco and sage and occasionally an offering of salmon to thank the lake for providing food and water. That's where I think the misunderstanding came from. Settlers saw us throw a little bit of meat in the water, Miller explained. I can understand how they would screw that up. Why are they throwing meat in the water? Pioneers were soon telling stories of serpents in Okanagan Lake 
that needed to live animal sacrifices to appease it and ensure a safe passage across the water. Once the idea of a bloodthirsty lake serpent took hold, it grew out of control. Settlers began patrolling the lake with guns because they were nervous the beast would attack. But by the 1920s, and likely in the absence of any actual human predation, cooler heads prevailed. Tourism officials named the creature Ogopogo after a catchy English folk song whose lyrics including... And I have no idea how this song goes, but I'm going to try it. Oh, My no. Corona. No. His mother was an earwig. His father was a whale. A little bit of head. Don't go there. I don't even know how to apologize. And hardly right any now tail. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, no. No. Don't talk. Just listen. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to start from the beginning because you interrupted. Oh, no. His oh, mother no. was an earwig. His father was a whale. A little bit of head and hardly any tail. Wow. I'm not done. And Ogopogo <laughs> was his name. <laughs> okay, we're done with that song. So Ogopogo prefers. Oh, my gosh. His father was a whale, a little bit of head, and hardly any tail. So whatever. I mean, maybe he didn't like it that way. I don't know. But regardless, he turned into a cartoon-like creature that would lure tourists. Because over time, Ogopogo is what made Kelowna a household name in Canada. Not in America, because I never heard of him. <laughs> it's hard to know just how many people have traveled to Kelowna over the last century in the hopes of seeing the mythical lake monster. But over time, Ogopogo is what made Kelowna a household name in Canada. For years, the creature appeared in Kelowna's parade float, both in town and in large parades in the Pacific Northwest and Alberta. Gift shops hot gimmick jars of Ogopogo's eggs and even its feces. Those Canadians are messed up. You know what I'm saying? Who hawks feces? Hey, everybody, I got some Lake Monster poop here. How about a few Canadian dollars for some Lake Monster poop? Oh, my. I, hey, you want some Lake Monster poop, eh? Stop. Okay, fine. <laughs> While the tourism office no longer actively runs Ogopogo poop, I mean, today, uh, the legend remains as popular as ever. Uh, I'm done with this article. Thank God. <laughs> like, sir, it goes on for like three more pages. Yeah, no, I'm, no. I'm done with this article. <laughs> Tim, what do you got for me? Well, I'll tell you about the Wendigo. Thank Did you. Did you say Wendigo? The Wendigo. The Wendigo. The Wendigo is a horrifying. Thank God it's not Ogamada effing Pogo. Okay? <laughs> Whatever. It's a horrifying creature of Alcornian Native American legend. Before he goes on, any Canadian listeners, I do apologize. We appreciate your listenership. But it just had to be made fun of. I mean, you heard the article. What can I do? What can I do? Okay, go ahead. It would devour human flesh to survive survive a, a harsh winter. But our only myth, or our only really cannibalistic humanoids waiting in forests for the next victim. Ooh. The Algonquins. Al <laughs> Can we make any harder welcome, words welcome, here? Welcome to my pain. <laughs> you know, if you weren't here, Tim, that would have been Karen's article. <laughs> the Algonquins are some of the most extensive and numerous of the Native American groups in North America, and they once lived along the Atlantic coast and Great Lakes region. However, when Wendigo-like creatures are also found in in the legends of other Native American tribes including the neighbors of the Algonquins, the Iroquois, amongst these people, a creative known as the Stone Cart, Stone Court, Stone Coat Bears are similar similarities to the Wendigos. I'm sorry, is the article not in English? <laughs> I, I don't understand. 
<laughs> Me neither, apparently. I'm just so happy right now that someone else is feeling this pain. <laughs> the Wendigos have an insatiable hunger. Roughly translated, the word Wendigo means the evil spirit that devours mankind. Another translation said to be made by a German explorer around 1860s equates the word to Wendigo as cannibal. Well, I think that's pretty much the same thing. So Wendigo are said to have an insatiable hunger for human flesh. No matter how much flesh they eat, they remain hungry. It sounds like me, but just not the flesh part. <laughs> this hunger was reflected in the appearance, which according to some is extremely thin. Me, like two years ago. <laughs> Despite their gaunt physiques, Wendigo arcs are described by some as giants, measuring at 4.5 meters, which is approximately 14.8 feet in height. Whilst there are slight variations to the physical description of this creature amongst the different Algonquin people, it is generally agreed the Wendigo have glowing eyes, long yellowing fangs, and long tongues. Most Wendigos are also said to to sallow and yellow skin, though others say they are matted with hair or decaying skin. Legends, legends say the Wendigo were once human beings. According to the most popular version of the story, a Wendigo is formed whenever a human being resulted in can- resorted in cannibalism, even if they were done in or even if they did it in order to survive. When a person consumes the flesh of another human being, he or she believed to be overcome by evil spirits and transformed into a Wendigo. In other versions of the story, the first Wendigo is said to have been a warrior who made a deal with the devil in order to save his tribe. Welcome to hell. Right? You're not scary. I try. <laughs> he gave up his soul and was transformed into a Wendigo. When peace ensued, there was no need for such a fearsome creature. Of course, we all know that Crawley could have been the one that turned him into a oh, Wendigo. Then he'd have an English accent, like, yeah. Like Lucifer? Well, yes, that's possible too. <laughs> I think all demons and Lucifer himself are English. I would be a Wendigo for Lucifer. Just saying. <laughs> so would Karen. As long as it's Tom Ellis. Anyway. And the warrior was banished from his tribe and forced to live as an outcast. That kind of sounds like Lucifer. Mm-hmm. Some believe that the human person continued to reside within the Wendigo, simply where its heart, where its heart should be. The person is frozen... And the only way they can kill Wendigo is to kill the human within its within its well. A few legends state that the frozen person is successfully rescued from inside the creature in most cases. However, death is the only way to free a person from the Wendigo. Wendigos are believed to roam around the forest where the Alcoquins... <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, you'll get there. One day you'll know who those Al- Alcoquins are. <laughs> Lived and forest dwellers that disappeared over the years are rumored to have been eaten by the creatures. Many Wendigo sightings have been reported over time, not only by Native Americans, but by wet, white settlers as well. For example, between the 1800s and 1920s, a Wendigo is set to have appeared near a town called Rosso in northern Minnesota. It That's has been, red and Spanish. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> You just taught me some Espanol. <laughs> it has been claimed that each time a sighting of this creature was made, an unexpected death followed. Not seven days. There's no Samara. Oh. <laughs> no Samara. The sightings, however, eventually stopped, and things went back normal. Amongst this creed, there's a, trad- a traditional dance called around the Widow Camargo. What was that? 
no repeats. <laughs> or the Wendigo dance. During the dance... Well, that's much easier to say. <laughs> you should have just went with that one. <laughs> right? The, the fearsome Wendigo is portrayed satirically by the dancers. Satirically? Who got it? You're so confused on the other parts of this conversation <laughs> that the actual English is hard to say at this point. Sat- satirically. Satirically. <laughs> In addition, addition to satire... Wow. Satirism? My English is hard today. All right. You, you should go back to Alec Weekend. Satirizing. <laughs> the Wendigo... Sorry. Some Native Americans became Wendigo hunters. Belief in the Wendigo forms just as a small part of American belief in the supernatural. With one in eight Americans have admitted to a psychic reading. Sounds about right. According to the Psychic Guild. At the beginning of the 20th century, an 87-year-old Cree man by the name of Jack Fiddler was tried on the murder of of a Cree woman. Whilst he pleaded guilty to the crime, he defended himself by saying that the woman on the verge of transforming into a Wendigo as she was being possessed by the evil spirit. Therefore, she had been killed before she murdered other members of the tribe. In addition to the woman, Fiddler claimed to have slain at least 13 other Wendigo during his lifetime. So, my understanding of the Wendigo is, which I think it's interesting, like, most of that was what I had read about it, but my understanding was that when a man had went out with his children into the woods, they had gotten lost. His daughters, where there were four of them, had died, and he made a deal with the devil to bring them back, and the devil had told him that if he ate... If he ate their flesh, he would bring his daughters back. And so the father did that and ate the flesh of his children and instead gave him this, you know, curse of being the Wendigo. And uh, and then later there had to be like an Indian um, Native American like ritual done in order to banish him, banish the Wendigo back to hell and release the man's soul it's like a huge, I don't know, a, a very large folklore tale. It's a huge, huge it's tale. Huge, huge, huge. 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 Got, I think it had the highest ratings of any folklore. I think <laughs> largest folklore tale ever. Oh my gosh! On the highest rated network, known as NBC. <laughs> not fake news. No Wendigo. Mainstream news. Okay, not we're not we're not going political tonight. We're coming home. We're doing we're, Alec Baldwin, okay? We are. So, just just for the record, though. So, I, I think that, like, um, as he was saying, there was multiple different stories between uh, Native American stories and other aspects of it that it, probably what you just said drew on all those aspects and kind of put them all together because what he read was the Native Americans uh, tale versus some more modern tales where there was cannibalism involved, a deal with the devil involved, and some other things. So it's kind of a hodgepodge, probably. It's probably um, delineated over time into different theories and stories and and things like that. And the tale has just, uh, um, whatever you want to call it, evolved over over the eons. Would be my guess. That's all the time we have for this episode. As always, we thank you for listening to The Dragon's Nest. Please follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Dragon's Nest PC. That's Dragon's, with an S, Nest, P, 
PC for podcasts. We are on YouTube, so please like, subscribe, and hit that bell. You can listen and follow us on your favorite podcast platforms such as Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google, iTunes, and at our host site, SoundCloud. To search for us, just search The Dragon's Nest. That's the, T-H-E, Dragons with an S, Nest. If you would like to share a story with us or have ideas you'd like to hear in a future show, please send an email to thedragonsnest at outlook.com or call and leave us your story at 513-549-3049. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time... Inside the Dragon's Nest.